Hello and welcome. My name is Sophia Besch and you're listening to the CER podcast. Hello, I am at the CER Brussels office today with Charles Grant and Simon Tilford. Charles, of course, is the director here at the Center for European Reform and Simon is our deputy director. And they are here for a quick election primer on the day before the UK's general election tomorrow. Um, we'll talk about how we got here, where the main parties stand, which issues were missing in the campaigns, perhaps, and what this election means for Europe. First, Simon, maybe how did we get here when Theresa May, Britain's Prime Minister, called a snap general election on April 18th? What was her reasoning? By calling a general election, she hoped to increase the size of her majority significantly. Her majority is currently quite slim. And her reasoning, I think, was that that would give her the strength or the, the leverage to face down some of the more ideological Eurosceptics in the Conservative Party and it would free her up to negotiate a somewhat softer Brexit than the one that many on the right wing of her party would like to see. And I think there was real logic in that. Uh, I mean, it was at that point it looked very clear that she would indeed win a much bigger majority. The Conservatives were a long, long way ahead in the, the polls and it looked highly unlikely that the Labour Party under Jeremy Corbyn would stage much of a comeback during the campaign. So I think her reasoning was sound. Call an election now before the negative impacts of Brexit, negative economic impacts of Brexit have come through and before the negotiations with the EU have shown how weak Britain's position is. Come out of the election with a big majority and with the, uh, the scope to face down and more militant Eurosceptics. I think the logic was, was clear. What we're seeing, however, is that it might be rather tighter than she, than she thought. Right. So for weeks, the Conservatives had a comfortable lead in the polls of around 20 points. But then over the last three weeks or so, the tide seems to have changed. Uh, Labour under Jeremy Corbyn seems to be catching up with Theresa May. Um, some polls are now predicting a hung parliament with no party reaching an overall majority. Charles, what happened here? What has Corbyn done right? What has May done wrong? How serious should we be taking the narrowing of the polls? It's very unusual in a British general election for the campaign to appear to make a big difference to the way votes are cast. But it looks like this is a campaign where the Tories have gone from a lead of roughly 20 percentage points when the campaign began to a lead on the average is now about 7 percentage points. But as you say, some make it narrower than that, some make it wider than that. I think it's both sides have contributed. I think Corbyn, on his side, has actually turned out to be much less bad than people thought he'd be. Expectations are very low. But rather like Bernie Saunders in the American primaries for the Democratic nomination, Corbyn comes over as sincere, honest, decent, idealistic, naive and rather silly on many issues. But, but at least you know what you get with him. And he's, camp he's clearly enjoyed the campaign and he's, he doesn't seem ill at ease or too nervous uh, when he's put under the spotlight, even on a difficult issue like his lack of support for using nuclear weapons or uh, his previous support for terrorist groups, which, which he has supported previously uh, many decades ago. So he's been comfortable and his manifesto has appealed to many young people by offering free lunches, you know, no more tuition fees for students, for example, lots of money for lots of different social groups. He's promised to give everybody the money they want which is very appealing, especially to young people. On the other hand, Theresa May um, has made some mistakes. There was one particular mistake in her manifesto, so-called social care, which is the care of the elderly. She put in an idea, or rather her chief advisor put in an idea into the manifesto to make old people sell their houses to pay for social care, even if the houses wouldn't have to be sold till after the old people had died, which 
while perhaps logical in certain respects, was obviously not appealing to older voters, or some of them. And it went down so badly that she had to do a reversal four days after the manifesto was launched and abandoned the policy. But then she, to make it worse, she pretended she hadn't changed her mind. She said nothing has changed. So having cast herself as a strong, stable leader, it looked like she was rather a weak a wobbly leader who changed her mind quite easily. She'd already changed her mind on calling the election, which she'd promised never to call before the end of the five-year term, then changed her mind on that. So this allowed her enemies to attack her as um, as weak and wobbly. And also, she just hasn't looked very good in the campaign. She She's quite brittle under questioning. When a clever interviewer asks her clever questions, she's all over the place. She's not uh, comfortable under the spotlight like her predecessor, David Cameron, or, or indeed earlier, Tony Blair was. She's not very good at answering difficult questions and clearly has been very uncomfortable throughout the campaign. So I think the, the two factors of Labour running a better campaign than people expected and the Tories getting into trouble through a, a botched manifesto launch and, and a weak leader or, or a rather brittle leader, that's contributed to the shift of opinion. Mm. The UK has experienced three terrorist attacks over the last three months in Westminster, Manchester and London Bridge. And... Normally, you would expect these events to favor the incumbent conservative government, and that's not necessarily what we're seeing here, Simon. Why? I mean, normally it would favor the incumbent, particularly if the incumbent is a conservative government. And I think everyone expected that to happen following the atrocity in Manchester, particularly given the leadership of the Labour Party. Now, it is a long time ago, but Jeremy Corbyn did speak out quite strongly in favor of the IRA and has spoken up uh, on a number of occasions in defence of, or in apparent defence or understanding of, various terrorist groups. So the assumption was that the Conservatives would benefit significantly from that. They didn't after the Manchester atrocity. And then following the London one, uh, May, Theresa May quickly came under pressure for her role as Home Secretary in, in cutting funding uh, for the police, particularly the armed police although she wasn't directly responsible for the, the cuts in front of the armed police. That was the way the cuts fell within the, the, the policing budget. But she came under a lot of pressure because of that and has not been able to exploit what would have been an open goal for an incumbent Conservative government facing a Labour Party led by Jeremy Corbyn. She hasn't been able to profit from it. Indeed, she has been put under a lot of pressure since then. So we haven't had many polls since the atrocity. We don't know what impact her poor handling of the crisis and the pressure she came under subsequently has done to her popularity. Uh, there were calls for her resignation from Corbyn, which was just politics, but he managed to use it very skillfully to put her on the spotlight and to avoid Labour and his history uh, again being, being, being brought down to the open in question. Leading up to this election, um, many have complained or have bemoaned the lack of substantive debate. In fact, there hasn't even been a debate between the two main party leaders. In your opinion, both of you, what should have been the topics that should have been discussed in this election, in the campaigns? What are the elephants in the room? What should the country have debated? Well, I'll say a little bit about Europe, but Simon may want to say something about economics as well as Europe. Uh, on Europe, this was supposed to be an election about Brexit. It was supposed to be giving Mrs. May a mandate to negotiate a good deal for Britain. But actually, both party leaders, for different reasons, the both main party leaders, have avoided talking about Brexit. Jeremy Corbyn has never been comfortable on European issues. He's a lifelong Eurosceptic who voted against every single EU treaty that came to Parliament for ratification during his time in Parliament. 
And he now claims he, want, he wanted to stay in the EU during the referendum campaign, but he didn't fight that campaign with any conviction. He's basically an anti-European leading a pro-EU party. So he's very uncomfortable on the issue and is quite happy never to talk about Europe if he can, if he can avoid talking about it. Theresa May is slightly different. She doesn't like talking about European issues because as soon as she gets into the detail or the nitty-gritty of the choices that Britain faces in the forthcoming Brexit negotiations, she'll have to admit there are very painful and difficult trade-offs to make. They boil down to this. Every time Britain wants to be closer to the EU and more economically integrated and choosing an, a, a path that is better for the British economy, she'll have to have uh, give up soft sovereignty, whether it's in terms of the European Court of Justice or, or other ways. So the more, the more we're integrated with Europe, the less sovereignty we'll have. And if we want to hold on to sovereignty and particularly keep the European Court of Justice out of our affairs, then we'll have less integration, which will be less good for our economy. That's the basic trade-off. And she's been reluctant to admit that during an election campaign for understandable reasons, because the British people at the moment are living in cloud cuckoo land. They believe, because the economy's done all right since the referendum, that leaving the EU is going to be fairly pain-free and costless. And they think things will just, life will chug along as before. Uh, certainly we believe at the CR in the long run, whether it's a hard Brexit or, God forbid, no deal at all and crashing out, the British economy will take quite a significant hit in the long run. And it really hasn't suited Mrs May to come clean on this. And so difficult particular issues like should we stay in, the, in all or some of the, or none of the EU's regulatory agencies should we accept a role for the European Court of Justice during the transitional uh, arrangements? What kind of customs controls will we put up with when we leave the customs union? Uh, these specific nitty-gritty issues have not been discussed in the campaign at all. Simon? I mean, just to add to that, we've been in a somewhat surreal situation in which um, governments have been, or the Labour Party and the Conservatives have been put under pressure to provide costing for various policies, be it social care or be it uh, expanding childcare, whereas there's been no pressure on the government to provide any costing uh, for the impact on the economy of reducing net immigration from its current level of, say, a quarter of a million a year down to under 100,000. What would be the economic impact of that? Economists, there's a broad consensus among economists that that would be considerable in terms of growth and hence in terms of tax revenues and hence in terms of the ability of the government to finance public services. That has been totally absent from the, the campaign, as has the costing of uh, leaving the single market or leaving the EU's customs union. So the biggest economic challenge facing the country and the biggest policy challenge facing the country has been absent from the campaign. And from an outsider's perspective, that, that does look surreal. Within the UK, many people seem to see that as acceptable or as understandable because there is a consensus in favour of leaving the EU. And hence, uh, whatever the costs of that, they will be what they are. And hence, we don't need to discuss them in the campaign. But that has made uh, the last few weeks rather surreal, rather, uh, and rather strange. This is a very odd campaign in which the biggest challenges facing the country are simply not being discussed and in which, in which the electorate is simply not being made aware of. And I'd just like to add to that, that I think the British media are guilty for some of the failings of this campaign. It's true that the political leaders 
as Simon and I have said, have not wished to discuss the key questions facing Britain and the EU. But that's because they've not been put on the spot by journalists, because the British senior political journalists who dominate our print and broadcast media are very ignorant about the EU and how it works. So when they have Mrs May sitting in a chair in front of them, a man such as Jeremy Paxman, he doesn't put her on the spot and ask her difficult questions about, you know, have you analysed the economic cost of restricting migration to 100,000 people a year? He doesn't ask these questions because he's not aware of them and doesn't think about them. The British media, rather like our political class, is very insular and quite happy not to think about European issues. From a European perspective... What would be the best possible outcome for this election, Charles? Talking to um, some of the EU's negotiators who I've been discussing this with in the last few days, I think most of them hope, and I think they're probably right, that Mrs May gets a large majority. It's kind of counterintuitive because she's running a very Eurosceptic campaign, not a very Eurofriendly campaign, but still, if she has a large majority, she can, if she wishes strike the difficult compromises with the 27 that are essential if Britain is to get any deal at all, in particular on the money, paying money to the EU, which the EU claims the UK owes it, and on the role of the Court of Justice in transitional arrangements and in the long-term deal too. Uh, if Mrs May is not prepared to take on her own right wing and newspapers such as the Daily Mail and push through these compromises, which are going to be painful and controversial, there won't be a deal. And that'll be catastrophic for the British economy. So I reckon if she has a majority of 100, although some of those uh, majority will be very Eurosceptic MPs, she will feel strong enough to push through the compromises because many of the newly elected MPs, though Eurosceptic, will be loyal to her because she will have got them into Parliament. So I fear that with a very small majority, she'll be weak and her government will be unstable and she'll be too scared of her right wing to push through the compromises. That's my fear. Simon, do you agree or do you think that the possibility that some polls are showing uh, that Britain could end up with a hung parliament where perhaps the Lib Dems who have been arguing mm. against Brexit or for a softer uh, Brexit deal have a voice in the Brexit negotiations might be better from a European perspective? I think a big majority would be preferable to a, a small majority because also it's worth remembering that if it's a small majority, Jeremy Corbyn will have done relatively well and will use that relatively good performance. Uh, to fight off attempts to get him to stand down. Uh, and so the Labour Party will continue to be led by someone who's pretty much unelectable. So a big majority is better than, than a small majority. A hung parliament, however, would leave open uh, the prospect of a, a shift, a significant shift in the UK position. Because although the Labour Party has gone along uh, with the referendum result because it fears uh, further loss of support among uh, basically white working class voters in the Midlands and the North and all of those parliamentary seats where it faced a big challenge from, from UKIP. Uh, they have far fewer red lines when it comes to Brexit than the Conservatives. So the Labour Party doesn't have a problem with ECJ jurisdiction, for example. Its problem with Brexit is immigration and being seen to be acknowledging the will of the people or its voters in that referendum campaign. And that was the, their concerns were about immigration first and foremost. The average Labour voter has no concerns about the ECJ. So if it was a hung parliament, we don't know what would happen on the Conservative side. Theresa May would clearly have to stand down. Uh, if it was a hung parliament, she would have failed abjectly. We don't know who would replace her if it was Boris Johnson. He, as it might be, he's able to spin on, on a dime. We don't know what position he would take as the negotiations unfold, as the trade-offs become more apparent, if the Conservatives were able to form a minority government. But we don't know they would be. It's vaguely just about possible you could have a broad-based coalition comprising, you know, Labour, the SNP, 
the Liberals. That looks highly unlikely at the moment, given their personalities. But a home parliament would leave would open the way for a period of political instability in the UK, which at least might provide some chance of the country sobering up sufficiently to try and rescue something from the situation and withdraw from the kind of hard Brexit course we're on. Okay, at the end of this podcast, I'm going to ask you to do something that's very unfashionable with experts in the UK right now, which is to predict the election result tomorrow. Don't worry, you can only lose. Charles, do you want to start? Um, I believe that Labour will do quite well in terms of numbers of votes cast, that Jeremy Corbyn will win more votes than the 30% that Ed Miliband won last time, but they won't win more seats. In fact, they'll win fewer seats than last time. They will lose seats in the North and the Midlands and Labour will gain a few seats in university towns and the South and South East. So I would predict a Tory majority of about 50. Simon? I would like to take a very different line just because it would make for better better listening. But I think it will be between 40 and 60, the majority for the Conservatives, maybe closer to 40 than 60, which will be pretty much the worst possible result because May won't have done that well to her position, won't have been strengthened that much vis-a-vis -vis her, her backbenchers. And Jeremy Corbyn will be able to, to, to claim victory and will probably hold on. So I think uh, we are probably looking at the worst of, of all worlds. Charles Grant, Simon Tilford, thank you very much.